Audi. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. up on a council estate in East London as the son of Afro-Caribbean immigrants, Eddie Nister, MBE, grew to be an actor and is now best known for presenting Drive Time on BBC Radio London. On this episode, we talk Windrush, tracing his African roots, hanging out with Idris Elba, getting accosted in a dark alley in Thailand, and in his words, being the first black guy to do a personal ad in South Africa, and so much more with the lovely Eddie Nester here on this week's Big Travel Podcast. My name's Eddie Nestor. I currently host at BBC Radio London's Drive Time Show. I've done that for around about the last 15 years. I started my career on Casualty. I DJ, I compare, and I've just done a tiny... The, the same way you're interviewing now, me now. Uh, two weeks ago, I was interviewing Idris Elba because I did a tiny bit on his film because I've known him for a little while. Nice. Can you get me an interview with him? That's my main question. <laughs> oh, good shot. You're going to go far, you, aren't you? Get it in. But you, you grew up in Hackney in the east end of London. That is now quite a, a trendy place for people to live, but that must have been quite a different place in the yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s. It's quite an interesting thing to look at how London changes. I mean, people talk about how it's always changed with Jews, Huguenots, Bangladeshis in East London, but to see it in your lifetime, to see the rundown areas of Hackney brought up on Kingsmead Estate where no one wanted to live, going to a school that nobody wanted to go to and nobody wanted to send their child to, now seeing it be one of the places full of hipsters. You know, gentrification is well and truly at work, roads blocked at weekends, falafel and all, all sorts of... It's, it's an amazing thing to watch. From a positive point of view, I guess that's brought more money into the area. But from a negative point of view, of course, it prices people out of their local areas. Yeah, it prices people out. I mean, at the time when I was born, we didn't own anywhere, so it wouldn't have been an issue for us. But it means, you know, coffees are three quid or whatever. It changes an area. It really does. And sometimes I was looking at the other day at what the downsides are to gentrification. And, you know, they're better schools, fewer crimes, more harmonious community spirits. But, uh, you know, for let's, for want of a better term, call it the indigenous population, i.e. people were there before, it does become a little difficult. So how did your family come to the area? My mum and dad, and this is something I've only kind of, I've just, because I got an MBE this year, and through the MBE, I went on a, 
a journey of investigation. So I found out my ancestry, I found out where I was born. During that, we interviewed my mum, and my mum told us things that I'd never heard before, like when she came over, how long it took. So they came over from the island of Dominica in the Caribbean, the nature isle of the Caribbean, it's called. And they came over in the late 50s, 60s to to settle in East London. I suppose they already had relatives that were here and like lots of immigrants, they came to be where they already had people. So they must have been close to the original Windrush generation. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that that's 70 years. I mean, so my mum's only 76. So I think they call it, it's a kind of catch-all term, isn't it? Windrush generation. Yeah, a bit of a catch-all. Those who came from the Caribbean to work in this country to make it what it is now. I saw the you finding out your DNA results, which are fascinating because, of course, you might go back generations in the Caribbean, but African people were originally from Africa. Yeah, it, you know, it's one of the weirdest things to, to say to somebody that Africans, people who look like me, black people, are not indigenous to the Caribbean. And it's quite a weird thing because they kind of look at you for a minute. The, the, the Caribbean, Caribs, Indians, they, they're the people, Arawak, whatever, but not Africans. So Africans came over, and in my case, they came over from Cameroon, they came over from Nigeria, and they came over from Ghana, and then they settled on the islands there. So that's a weird thing, that Africans didn't actually meet Caribbeans until they came to England. That Afro-Caribbean culture is so entrenched now, isn't it? It's, it, is, it is a surprise to people. You know, when you really think about it, you think, oh, yeah, of course. That, that yeah, but, a... but, but people don't. They, I think quite a lot of the time we just accept what's there. And we just kind of think of it. Well, this might sound weird to you, but I'm sure there are people in many of the countries that listen to the podcast who get this, that actually, if you were from a Caribbean family and you met somebody from an African family, there was a lot of tension. And actually being African was a pejorative. And that has almost turned on its head now that people from the Caribbean giving their children African names. And even that kind of journey is a fascinating thing to watch. It's the way you dressed, the way you behaved, the way you moved. At that time, the swagger was all Caribbean and the African kids were trying to be Caribbean. Now it's the other way around. But at that time, you know, the clothes that you wore, the way you felt, the way you moved, the way you carried yourself, completely different. Now, I read somewhere that your mum lives in St. Lucia now. Mum is staying with me now, but mum lives in St. Lucia. Mum, after dad died, mum married again and went to St. Lucia. And that was quite an interesting thing because, of course, I went to her wedding and her son was going to DJ at her wedding. And I thought about it and I thought about all these tunes I was going to play had gone over there. And uh, it wasn't going well. And she said to me, try this or try this in her accent. And um, she gave me a country and western CD, put it on, the whole CD played, and everybody danced to every record. What is it? I've been to St. Lucia. I don't remember particularly any hoedowns or any line dancing. What is it about country and western that seems to be very popular in St. Lucia? I, I don't know. I mean, as a kid growing up, it was Jim Reeves, it was Perry Como, maybe a little bit of Nat King Cole. But those guys, Elvis, those guys were big in my house. We used to have a blue spot gram. 1733, 45 and 78. And that's what mum played. And that's that's what mum and dad danced to. Was it a hard upbringing or a hard life for them when they came over and had children? Here? Yeah, they talked to me about it a little bit. They talked to me about, you know, sleeping in the day and working. So, so you couldn't find anywhere to live. So you'd find somewhere where perhaps 
that person slept in the bed through the day while you worked and then you'd come and sleep in the bed at night while they were. Well, sometimes, as I say, I think a lot of the things we take for granted. I know now that I was poor, but I was never hungry. What was yep. it like being, what, what was, you know, describe that sort of poverty for me. What was life like? Well, I didn't realise it until afterwards. I, I realise it now because we lived in a council estate, you know, and I was a free school meals. I didn't have the same name as uh, my mum. So all of those things, you know, I was kind of, but I didn't feel poor. Maybe food is just a big part of what I do where I go in terms of travelling as well. But I didn't feel poor because I always had food. And love, it sounds like. And love. A lot of love. Although you'll get this from people you talk to of my background. The way they showed their love is not the way that I show love to my children. I don't mean it as a disrespect, but I think a lot of Caribbean people of my age that I talk to their parents didn't touch them unless they were hitting them, unless they were chastising them. And I feel a bit jealous now when I see my mum with my children because she's so loving and beautiful and they get on so well. And I think, why wouldn't you like that with me? <laughs> well, I guess for many reasons, probably cultural, but also they wanted to instill that work ethic. And yeah, that's, you know, yeah. it's a great big stereotype, yeah. isn't it? Of course, it, the is. Of course it is. Of course strict it is. Strict parents. But it is. Mum did two jobs. And mum it did all my life, my mum did. Well, I, I don't know. Did it work? You know, I don't know. You've got an MBE, you're a successful radio presenter, and many more things. But I wouldn't do it to my children because I think that I don't know. I don't mean to, this This must never come across as a kind of a judgment because I think that all parents do what they think is the best for their children. But even now, I go out with my children, so I walk them to school and we go swimming and gymnastics. And I sat looking the other day and I thought all the parents were on their phones and the children were on their tablets. It's a conversation time. It's not money. For me, it's not money. I, don't, I know there, it might be for some people. It's like time, soft, what I call soft learning. What's the capital of this country? How many seconds in a minute? It's autumn now, son. I just read something before I came in that said that 75% of 18 to 24-year-olds would prefer to go to a till which was machine. So they, they didn't have to have any kind of interaction. And it worries me. That's why travelling is so brilliant. It worries me that that's the way we're going. OK, well, let's get on to the travel. So when you were, it sounds like when you were younger, there wasn't, money your means no, for travel first time I went away was about 1973 I think 74 when my mum went back to the Caribbean for the very first time so it was a big deal and what struck me since is that the very first time I said to my mum I'm going to Spain or something my mum said who you know in Spain Meaning that for many of those, which is the real story of the Windrush generation, really, that many of them had never left the country, didn't get paid through bank accounts, didn't do all the things that you and I m might regard as absolutely essential and normal. For my mum, if I was going to a different country where I didn't know anybody, then why am I going? You only go where you came from. That's what you have money. So, so we had we had great fun with that. I can, it, it makes total sense, though. I mean, holidays are quite a new thing. It's almost like, 
I remember mm. someone saying to me, like, picnics, it's just eating your dinner outside. Why would you do that? Holidays, why, you, why would you go somewhere when you don't know anyone? What's the reason? You've got no, it's a waste of money completely. But yeah. of course it isn't. And it's, you and I know it's the most wonderful thing. And it also helps people overcome prejudices and learn more about other cultures. You know, it's a beautiful thing. One of my heroes is also a boy not too far from me who was brought up and I've got to know him a bit is Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis was a kid brought up in West Ham and his mum decided that he was going the wrong way so she'd send him to Canada. And I remember when he came back and he gave an interview and he said one of those things that you think, well actually that's quite true. He said if you want to help these kids, some of these kids, you know, these postcode wars haven't been on a tube, haven't been on a bus, haven't been out of their area or their ends as they call them. You need to travel. There's something that happens when you travel, particularly to the developing world. But when you travel and you see people who maybe don't look like you, don't sound like you, but they live like you and they're good people and they've got your best interests, or it's an amazing thing, travelling. I always think that, you know, you go to the most far-flung foreign places and actually they don't feel so foreign when you get there because people no. are people and you have daily interactions and everyone's eating and drinking and working and sleeping and loving and otherwise. Yeah, for all the differences, it's almost remarkable how similar we all are. I think that, you know, when you see a, a family out, literally, as you say, having a picnic at the beach and you just go, right, you know, and I've seen it almost in every country where there is a sea. And you think, oh, I thought that was something that we did. That's a peculiar thing that happens to you if you stay in England. You have this, and I accuse people of it all the time, but I think there's something about us. We probably think that we're just a little better than anybody else. <laughs> there and is we that. Think, yeah, and, and, and we have Londoners that. especially. Londoners well. especially. I'm a Londoner, born and bred. I live here, I work here, I talk about London. But I do, I do see that in me and other people that, that actually you come with this almost superior attitude and it, it's not good. And, and, and the only way you can really challenge that is to go and meet, you know, go and sit. Thailand's one of my favourite places and to go and sit at the outside market and literally talk to anybody who comes and have conversations about whatever it might be, where they've been, what they've experienced, what they think. It's just fantastic. Get a buzz from it. It was probably that sort of misplaced sense of superiority, putting our British hats on now, that made us sort of go out and conquer the world and then ultimately... One of the things, you know, whatever you think of, let's say, Brexit, whatever you think of Brexit, you, you have to... I do anyway. I have to say to myself, whatever I think of it as a decision, and in the short term it looks like it's going to be quite a challenging one, it is that attitude, that kind of we are who we are, that has meant that so many, because we're punching above our weight for size. You know, when I showed my child Britain on a map in comparison to the rest of the world, they were like, whoa, whoa. Both of them, actually. And I don't know how you felt when you first saw this tiny little thing up there in comparison to, say, Russia, France. You know, France is, what, five times the size of Britain. You know, Australia, all the other countries. You think... Wow. I, I completely agree with that because we think we're on par with America, don't we? We think that we have as, as much world influence as America. And maybe we do have almost as world influence. But then it confuses me when I do go to places like the States and someone has asked me where my accent's from. And I've said England and they've said, is that somewhere near Puerto well, they're, Rico? They're, yeah, <laughs> but, they're, but they're peculiar. Americans are peculiar because because it's 50 states 
and they have every weather time zone. They, they, they can go, you know, if they want the sun, they want, you know, they can go to Alaska. They've got it all this. Actually, they don't need to travel. Traveling for them would be traveling in America. So there is a huge, I think a, a huge proportion as a developed country of Americans don't actually even have a passport. So I think their knowledge of what happens outside of America is different. I, don't, I think Europeans are far more intelligent. Sorry, did I say intelligent? <laughs> I meant worldly. But it's not a problem being un, unworldly, is that the... Uh, I've never that's been. That's my confession. You've never been to America. Yeah, you need a confession on your podcast. Yeah. I've never been to America. Oh. One of the things about traveling around is... British Isles here, they are amazing. And, and actually, I was surprised at how brilliant, you know, you go to places like Carmarthen and you're going to go, whoa, this is it. This is, sorry, this is Britain. You think, wow. So there's some beautiful places. Yeah, Scotland, it's the weather though, isn't it though? Well, today they've come out with, uh, I think it's Thomas Cook that said, profits are not going to be good because so many of us decided to stay at home this year. So that'd be interesting. Seeing the extremes of weather the way they are, it'll be interesting to see. That's the last thing we need is Thomas Cook struggling along with other travel companies. Yeah, but like the world that. is Travel's changing, isn't it? The world is changing. I mean, I don't know. I went on a budget airline. I've just come back from Spain on a budget airline. Yeah. They're interesting, aren't they? Yeah. And, and one of them is trying to charge you now for hand hand luggage. Mm. Yeah, they are interesting, but they have, on the plus side, changed the way we travel. So talking about travel, where should we talk about? Where's where's been uh, where's been the most the place that's made you feel happiest when you've been away? I want to say Thailand, but I think politically, I better say Goa. I got married in Goa. Went to Goa. I got married in Goa. When I found out that I was ill, I went back to Goa, and it's just a room. I mean, it's a bit hippie-ish. And maybe I am in my spirit. But it's just brilliant. It's just pretend India. It's just, I found it brilliant. A lot of the places that I go to, I want to go to. So I, I want to be able to walk where I want to go, whatever time of night. I don't want to have to be holding my... I don't want to have to take the same precautions that I do in London. And, and Goa is one of those. But you done it? Yeah, I have. Yeah, what lovely. did you think of it? I really, I really loved it. I mean, my family originally from India were Indian Fijians. So they, they grew up in, in Fiji. Another colonial thing that spread Indians all over the, the world. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the food's incredible. It is India light. I've been to other parts of India. It is India light. But also, I think if I'm if we're talking about beaches, I'm probably more of a Southeast Asia person, like Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. Those sort of white beaches. Well, right. So, so Thailand, I've done, and I did with my wife. And now, because we've got the small children, I'll go. Lisa will go, and we'll have holidays and breaks for ourselves. And it is a place that, you know, my wife goes without any fear, massages every day, raw food, whatever it might be. And people who've never been to Thailand go, you go to Thailand on your own. And I say, you've never been. I know from the reaction who's been. Because it is one of those countries that can be, I think, whatever you want it to be. I think it can be that kind of debauched kind of holiday. I've seen people do all sorts out there, but but it can be whatever holiday you want it to be. Have you indulged in a bit of debauchery when you've been away? First time we went there, my wife was um, on the bar dancing with the Thai girls, and that bar seemed to become all of a sudden incredibly popular. I think that, that <laughs> I think that's one of the times when I fell in love with her. I thought, oh, that's a great spirit. She's up there hugging and kissing and dancing. Uh, ringing the bell costing me a thousand bahts a time but you know I, I, yeah I want to live want to live I want to enjoy it you talked about your illness and you had cancer Hodgkin's Hodgkin's lymphoma. lymphoma how did that change you it's changed everything about me it saved my life really I now 
don't carry things the way I used to. I used to carry, you know, little things, petty things. I found it difficult to let things go. I didn't raise as much money for charity. I wasn't as nice to people. When you become aware of your mortality, when you think you might die, it's difficult not to change. It's difficult not to take that on. So, yeah, I think it was the making of me. It's made you a nice person. <laughs> it's almost made me a decent person. <laughs> almost. I like not, nobody wants to be no, fully decent. No, you've got to have a little bit of an edge. <laughs> so let me find some travel stories out of you. Can you think of your best stories about when you've been away? Where you've had a fabulous night out, where you've been mugged in Rio, where you've been, like, what has happened to you when you've I've, I've never been mugged, but there was one time in Thailand and I was really embarrassed. I came out and I was on my way home and I was walking... Along, I thought, oh, I need to go to the toilet. And I thought it was like England, so I went round the back and found a place, and these two guys came out, and they literally would not let me go. You come to our country, and you did it, and I thought, we're in a problem here. How do we deal with this? And they wanted 5,000 bahts or something like that, and I had 500, and I gave it to them and ran. And that reminded me that, you you know, not, not I didn't think I was being disrespectful, but clearly I was, although there isn't a guy that I know who hasn't mm -hmm. at some point got caught out and done it. So so that was that was one when I was reminded of kind of, you know, I'm in a lovely place and everybody's nice, but you know, in the shadows you need to you need to be aware. Do you think you've ever encountered any racism when you've been travelling? It's one of the reasons I don't want to go to America. I don't I don't like anything about it. I don't like anything I've read. I don't like anything I've seen. I don't like their president. I don't I just don't like the I don't and I'm sure that I would and I'm sure that I'm being people tell me that if I went then I San Francisco or Atlanta would be the two places that I should go to. That just don't go to New York yet. Yeah, just work your way in. I'm a voyeur, so the idea of South Beach is just absolutely fantastic to me. But I don't know that I will now. I, I don't, unless I'm going for work or somebody says to, to do that, I don't know that I will. Racism works in a weird way. Most of my holidays are in a developing world. If you've got money in the developing world, then actually whatever my prejudice is, this is, I'm talking about somebody from these countries now. You know, this is somebody from whom I can make a couple of bucks or if I hang around with them, I may get their shoes or may get their, you know, like when I went to Gambia. And we had, I'm quite keen when I go to these places to get, what, what, do you, what would you call them? I, I call them a helper, a shadow, a guest, somebody who comes from that place to kind of say to people, he's okay. And whatever you're going to get at the end of the week is dependent on you helping me to navigate these interesting situations, right? Because I think that everybody sees a cash cow. So would that be like a, a taxi driver or someone that... In, in Jamaica, or? in Jamaica, it was a taxi driver. In Gambia, it was a guy that we met in a bar who the bar guy said, look, I'm telling you, your life is going to be easier if you take him with you. I wear size nine and he was about size 12 and he wanted my trainers and I saw him squeeze his size 12 feet into my size 9 trainers. <laughs> Just a reminder of the I'm realities of like, yeah, I've got to wear them because it's going to make me look good even if they don't fit fit me. Tanzania was quite interesting. That was a, that's a life experience. I climbed Kilimanjaro with my wife and I went on that holiday thinking I'd throw her off the mountain. <laughs> no, I did. And then she, she had a panic attack on the mountain and I couldn't do anything to help her. And I fell in love with her again because I felt... She was so, I don't know if you've seen anybody have a panic attack. 
but it isn't a nice thing. And for it to be somebody that you love and you're not in a position to help them, it's quite... They call it the crying mountain, because everybody who climbs Mount Kilimanjaro cries. And it saved your marriage. Yeah, yeah, it did. Definitely. But travel has the power to do that, because on a day-to-day basis, when you've got your normal working lives and you might have young children you're, you're busy you don't have time to connect you know you don't have time especially if your kids don't go to bed properly which mine don't you don't have time to sort of sit and connect so that is one of the most amazing things about travel and one of the most beneficial things about travel I, I think would say. so I think so but I think you know you, I say to people who've just got together just wait until you've been on holiday together because there are 24 hours is a long time and I, I might like you, we'll go for a drink, we might have brilliant sex, we might have whatever. When I've got to sit with you and just you, nah, you're talkative and it's really nice. But if that's all day for seven days, oh, <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> so travelling with somebody is the way you find. I always say that. Like, if you want to know somebody, go and eat food with them. So if we were going on a date, I'd say, would you like to go to dinner? We'd go to dinner, we'd talk. That would be the way that I would do it because I think that people, these young people meet with loud music. How do you find anything out about somebody if there's loud music playing? But then yeah, I'm, well, it's afterwards, I'm, you know. <laughs> you meet I'm them old. in the club and then go for the dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm old, so what do, what do I <laughs> Well, know? I'm not so young, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you are, you are, stop it. So you've been to a lot of African countries. Was there any particular reason? I don't know. I, 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 and I'm going to go to Ghana, which I'm really scared about. And I, we raised money for a little place in Ghana called Kwahutafu. We raised over £100,000 for it, and I want to go and see where that money's gone. And also because of the ancestry and slave trade, I want my children to be able to, to see it. I think as I've got older, I've got more a sense of history. But I've done Gambia. I've done all the ones that you've done. Gambia, the Moroccos, the Egypts. Though nobody's going to Egypt anymore. Although apparently it's back on, isn't it? It is, but there are, you can't fly directly to right. some Red Sea resorts. But you can go there in other ways. I worked in 1994 in... I did... To my knowledge, I was the first black guy to do a personal advert in South Washing Africa. Washing powder. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be like Linford, you've got to think like Linford. PMA. What's PMA, Daddy? Positive mental attitude. I I did that advert and they, they flew us to South Africa. Now, that was fascinating. Being allowed to go into a club which was for coloureds, but they made an exception for me being asked whether I had firearms on me just like where am i going what is going on here? what year was that 94 i think so it was just post post a whole kind of big thing you know and um we went to cape town and i stayed in there's a, a hotel called the nelson hotel which is rated one of the top 100 hotels in the world and then i they were furious with me but i went to the township to have a look now i know how stupid that was right because i didn't even have a helper then but I really wanted to see Kukaletu. I wanted to see what it was like. I really needed to see what it was like, how other people are living. So, how, yeah. did you find, how did you find it? Chastening, just kind of, okay, that's what's going on. Even now, it's a country of imbalance, I would say, because it takes generations to, to fix something that's that badly broken. So if the guy has inherited wealth from a farm of, 2,000 acres or whatever. He doesn't become poor tomorrow. He still needs the 80 black guys or women to, to feed the cows, to work the land, to whatever. So having the ANC as leaders doesn't change that, does it? 
No, and also the people, it takes a long time, I imagine, for the culture to change because you've got people who are in their 40s who are still relatively young and they've grown up under apartheid. You know, mm. they, that's what they saw was normal, that's whether right. they believed. You'll have people on both sides of the argument. That's right, of course, of course you do. And that, whether they will change their attitudes or die out with their attitudes is, a, is something mm. that... Yeah, that, that, that country is... A, but they get like 98% of the population voting. We, we take it for... They don't take for granted what we take for granted. No oh, one look at the mess we, we're in from taking voting for granted. Well, I, yeah, but, but it has to go where it has to go. And I, and it isn't over yet. I think you. It isn't over yet. It's interesting. What you mean? Like, there's a possibility we wouldn't, we won't exit from the European well, Union. Well, I think, I think all, all from where I sit, all possibilities still present themselves. You know, you have got the Labour Party talking about possible second referendum, whispers about a snap general election, arguments about Brexit is putting forward their own. To my mind, hard Brexit means higher bills because it means extra tariffs on everything. It means queues going through Dover with lorries trying to get in. It means, so it, it will be an interesting thing. It's certainly not boring, neither here or in the States right now. When I went to Spain, they think we're mad. Well, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And you go, well, people wanted a choice. A choice on what? So it's quite difficult sometimes. I don't know if you've ever tried, but it's quite difficult from their point of view. It's slightly more political, but the 27 other countries, nation states, they can't make it too attractive, otherwise other countries will want to do it. So even if they suffer, they have to make Britain suffer. And that's the bit I don't think that people have quite cottoned on to yet. That actually, it's not a them versus us. But in order for them to remain as an entity, as a being, it mustn't look like a country has left and is doing better. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes it all makes sense to me, apart from the fact that, it, you know, I'm a traveller, I'm mixed race, I'm a, a European, I grew up in Spain. It all It's all a bit crazy to me. I can't actually believe we've got to this point. And I do think many people voted with just a, well, let's see what happens, shall we? Never thinking that it would actually happen. Do you think it would change travel for us? Because I'm, I'm worried, 29th of March, I'm, I'm worried that, my travel, particularly within Europe, not necessarily in other places, but I'm, I'm worried that particularly within Europe there might be a... You know, if we have to have visas or we have to get passports stamped, I don't think that's going to be the greatest problem in the world. Um, obviously, it's changed travel already because we've got a very weak pound. And you'll see on the you'll see the, the Daily Mail going, pound soars against the the euro. And it's like, it hasn't soared. It's still up to 111 or something. Like that. That's not soaring. It used to be 160 at yeah. one point and then sort of balanced around about 140, 135. You know, 111 yeah. is not soaring. And propaganda is. It is. is, is it is, is propaganda. Is every, everybody's and nobody wants to say that what they said was wrong. So it's a difficult... That's it. No one wants to say what they say were wrong. So you get people saying, oh, let's get out as soon as... Let's get out as soon as possible. You're like, what do you know? What do you know that I don't know? What do you know that tens of thousands of experts or maybe hundreds of experts don't know? I, d I don't understand it. I'm a bit confused by it anyway. It is important. Yeah, I, think, I think for a travel podcast, it is important. It is very important. Will I be able It blows to my mind. I've got Femi Oluwole coming on next week. He's a a young man who you might know who who's very anti-Brexit and very 
outspoken. He is. He is a fantastic orator. Uh, I haven't been able to get him on yet, but he 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 has embarrassed some pretty heavyweight politicians. I tell you what, I'll swap him for Idris Elba. <laughs> Look at you. You're good, I'll aren't give you? you? I'll give you his contact. Yeah. I, I'll give you his contact details right now. We're if you're sore. interviewing Idris, do you get dressed up? <laughs> uh, oh no, no. Do I'm not like y'all. No. Just in I case somebody's listening. My natural charm. Yeah, look at but you. I, I wouldn't swap Femi. Like I, I want to keep him. No, I'm I swapping know. the contact I, I, details I, I, here. I know. Swap his details for Idris's details. <laughs> so let me check what I've missed. Oh, during your your acting career, you filmed Death in Paradise in the uh, Caribbean. Is well, right? I, literally, I came back. This is why you have to be nice to people. Many, I am. many years. I, I do try ma my best. Many, you know? many, many years ago, I did a, a play in Liverpool and then it transferred to the West End to the Garrick Theatre and it chronicled the African-American experience through the 20th century written by a guy called August Wilson but there was a young assistant director Roger Roger Simmons and he'd gone away to Holland to France and he came back after 20 years and they gave him an episode of Death in Paradise which is filmed in the French territory of Guadeloupe and he said, I want Eddie Nesta. And I said, Eddie Nesta doesn't act anymore. And he said, well, I know Eddie Nesta. Of course he's there. He'll do it for me. And so I came straight back off the mountain. And then I went to Guadeloupe, which was, a, that's good. That was it. Because I'd never been to anywhere in the Caribbean like this. So the Caribbean is the Caribbean, right? It's kind of a colony. It's kind of got its independence for 50 years. I've been to Jamaica, St. Lucia, all of Dominica, obviously. But Guadeloupe's different because Guadeloupe is France. They use... The euro, it's it's like their country. It's not like an independent country that's different. Oh, that's interesting. They don't speak what we euro. call patois. You know, it's, they speak French. French. Yeah, it's and it's where the French people go for, for, for their holidays. Was it nice? Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> amazing. Sorry, did I not say that? Sorry, please forgive me. It's brilliant. If you watch Death in Paradise, then you know it just looks like... Uh, it's an amazing show. It reminds me of... Um, Baywatch, but for completely different reasons. So Baywatch was the most syndicated show in the whole world because you saw beautiful people and beautiful beaches and you kind of went, I want to be there and everybody bought into it. So it sold to many, many countries. And I think the same is true of this. This is a beautiful country, beautiful people. And you go, wow, on a sun cold Sunday evening, I wish I was there. Oh, I'll put that on my list. That sounds amazing. What else have I missed? Uh, you're a big Manchester United fan. Do you travel to see the team? At all? Uh, I do travel. Since I've had children, it's really gone down. I mean, because it takes a whole day. So you get on a train that will be at 10 o'clock. You get up there for 3 o'clock. You watch the match and you'll get him back at 9, 10 o'clock at night. And actually, you know, when, when, when you've got two small children to take a for me, anyway. Yeah, it's not. It's it not good it's, on the other it's, half. It, it, I've got it, it, um, it, it, uh, my husband's got a uh, Brighton and Hove Albion season ticket, so he will go down there. And I know it's only like you know maybe maximum two hours when once you do all the train connections. But he's there all day. You know, he obviously has to go and you know meet his friends in the pub. Has to. You know, football is almost like sacrosanct. Now you're having your moan. Do you moan when he's watching the replay of the match as well at home when he comes back? He doesn't get that. He, that's that's one. That's a step too far, I think, Eddie. That is a step too far. You I presented as a there. really nice and reasonable person. <laughs> and just a little while with you, I can see the truth. Ah, it's all coming out now. Is there anything I've missed, you think? Oh, very quickly, before I do that, before I ask you my last question, talking of your Caribbean 
Indian culture and everything. Have you researched this? How far back can you go? The ancestry went back between one and two thousand years. And, yes. And we got some names. And when I go back to the Caribbean, I will go and try to go back as far as I can. But my great grandmother was a woman called Louisa Laroque. And so we're going back to about 1880, and that's as far back as I can go so far. As so many people have said to me, since I've heard your documentary, I've now gone and done it, because I just think it's fascinating, isn't it? I just want to know. I want to be able to give my children something and say, well, look, this is the way, this is the journey. I think it, it helps ground people, because otherwise you think a stork dropped you here. But also you were 1% Iberian from Spain and, uh, and uh, the Iberian Peninsula, 1%... <laughs> Finnish and Russian. I mean, where does that come from, for goodness sake? Yeah. Well, you know exactly where it comes from. Yeah. You know where I think yours would be interesting too, It is. It? My mum and dad have had theirs done. My mum's 50% Irish when she didn't know she had, as a missing relative. E everybody's Irish, yeah, apparently. Everybody's, Irish, everybody's yeah. got... They the breed, the, the, they, they breed the, quite the, a lot. The, the two Sorry, really people. interesting ones were Ireland, where you have huge percentages of the population who have Irish in them, and, and Jewish because it's the one where it is most pure because they, of all the people, they are the least to go out outside. So you get, if you are, if you have it in you, usually it's slumped. So that, that's what the ancestry people told me. So I thought that was fascinating. My, my dad's was the more interesting one because he's from, he was brought, born and brought up in Fiji as part of this colonial, uh, almost slavery. It was called indentured labour. Yes. And he, his blood is, is all It Indian. is slavery, by Yes, the way. it was slavery. It was, they were terribly treated. They did get a small amount of money, but that, so that's the only reason they couldn't call it slavery. Uh, but it was slavery pretty much in everything but name. And um, his blood was found to have Melanesian blood in it, which is interesting because it didn't come from him having been brought up in Fiji. Apparently a lot of people on the Indian subcontinent have Melanesian blood because they would literally come up on the boats and get shipwrecked or deliberately find themselves there. And then many, many hundreds, possibly even thousands of years ago, the Indian have all this Melanesian from, uh, blood from Fiji and Polynesia. Oh, that is well, fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either, actually. I found that out recently. So I, I'm all for the DNA test, but have you not been approached to do Who Do You Think You Are? Have you done Who Do You Think Well, I, I, watched it, <clears throat> I watched it last week. I'm not a big telly fan. I'm a news, Game of Thrones, and a bit of sport. And I just got into House of Cards. But I'm not a big telly fan. But I did watch it the other... I think it's... I'd be terrified to go on there. I'd start crying like a baby. I think the work that they do, because people don't really look at it like this, the research, the work that they do is amazing. Have you never watched it thinking, I wonder what they would turn up if they did me? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it. I'm not well known enough, though. So, so well, I let's, let's someone. Now, let's now work, we're at the let's BBC. Work, let's, we work, let's work on that, shall we? Let's, <laughs> Should we go and knock on some doors? <laughs> Let, let's work on that. Hello. I think you, talking of the BBC, where we are right now, in your lovely studio where you do your, um, your, your show, I think we need to send you to America. I think we need to do a bit like Stephen Fry. We need to send you, who hates oh. America without having been there. And it is a beautiful place. Yes, You'll love it. Nothing. There is something called the Trump slump where visitor numbers have, have gone, they gone down. down? Oh, yeah, right, they have okay. gone down. But America is still beautiful, whether you like Trump. You're not going to bump into him, chances I think are. I'm going to meet it's Baba beautiful. and his cousin up in the hills or something. You know, I'm being silly. But of all the places, so the, the place that I am most looking forward to, when the children are old enough, we're going to Ghana as a family, but I am not looking forward to going on holiday with my children. That's not something, that's not in, I should, but I'm not. I am looking forward to doing the whole Cambodia, Vietnam, 
and maybe we can fit Bali in. Because I think that's, of all the places I've heard of, and then after that, the Maldives. So I, I'm clearly kind of Asian-y. That, that's where I, I like the kind of Zen. You know, if, if I'm honest with you, I mean, I know politically, I should say, when I went to Africa, I got down on my knees and I kissed the ground and I felt like I was at home. I know I should say that. But I'm not going to. No, I mean, you, you, you anticipate feeling these things and then they never really happen. But all those countries are my favourite countries. But I, luckily really? I went there before I had my very young children. But I think you're right. I don't want to go with like a three-year-old and a five-year-old. No, I want, to, I want to go and sit out and have a drink in the middle of the road and go. You know the thing about being on holiday is sometimes you can just go with it. So you meet someone, you go to a bar, you meet someone else. You, and next thing you know, it's like 12 hours later. That's my kind of holiday. Yeah, definitely, which is difficult to do with very young children. Before I ask you my last question, is there anything I've missed? No, I think I, I, we've just had a chat. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of mates yeah, having a chat. Absolutely. The, my last question you might find very difficult because it's always about music, because I always think that music and travel go hand in hand. You have more yes, time to listen. Yes, they do. And for many reasons. Might so, be difficult for me. Oh, really? Well, that, oh, I don't know if it will, because you've, you've got to choose one song. If you could choose one song that reminded you of a time and place of travel, what would that one song be? So it's difficult yeah, it, it is <laughs> difficult because there's so many that I could pick. Thanks. Let's be boring then. One of the things that I realised about Jamaica, which was very different to any other country, is that me, in Jamaica, music is everywhere. And though quite often in this country we see it, or people of colour see it as kind of Bob Marley, but in Jamaica they don't, and Bob Marley is everywhere. So I'm going to say, give me Bob Marley, Natural Mystic, as the song that I take in my <laughs> Bose headphones <laughs> on holiday with me. We'll is just, that all right? Can we'll, we, we'll can we work with that? Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Can we work with that? Are is that being, okay? Are you being sponsored in any way by Bose? No, 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 I'm it not, doesn't. I'm it not. doesn't have to. Sorry. <laughs> You cut that bit out. I'll do that again. No, no, you're is, is it all right? Sorry, no, it's just because that's what they are. I'm they, not someone might pay me. I'm going to call both up now and might get this episode. No, we don't yeah. We don't want people like him using our products. Hell no. They'll, they'll come cut in and take out. them back. They'll come in and <laughs> yeah, physically here's, take them Here's your money. Give me back my headphones, yes. And what moment have you been listening to that song? Has there been a moment where you're sitting on the beach? My favourite thing is... In Thailand, I get massaged on the beach every day, which to anybody who hasn't been sounds very strange. But they're these women who are about 40 or 50 and they are not small and they do not look like the normal Thai women. And I have the strongest one give me the roughest massage as I am wearing my headphones. And it is absolutely that is my moment. With Bob Marley. With Bob Marley. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much, Eddie. And if you can just hand over Idris Elba's contact details, that would be great. Thank you very much to you for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday with Femi Oluwole for plenty of laughs about Brexit and more. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, 
We are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.